Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Random Trek Movie Night. I am your fearful cat. Wait, wait, what was that? I, I think there's something out on the nacelle. There's something on the nacelle, dang it! I get that reference. You do get that reference. I'm so glad. <laughs> I am your fearful, fearful Captain Christopher Engel, joined as always by my intrepid first officer, the man who insists that there is nothing on the wing, Brennan, the mystical bar. Brennan, how are we doing? Uh, don't feed me after 8 o'clock p.m. when I can't <laughs> sleep. Oh, well, uh, if you can't guess by our references, uh, we are taking a look at the 1984 horror comedy classic, Gremlins. Uh, we needed a holiday movie, something very holiday themed. And with so many kind of sci-fi weird tropes that are mixed in here, I thought it would be a fun to look at. Brennan had never seen it. Uh, but we are joined by our specialist today. Uh, we uh, lovingly refer to him as Dirty Uncle Eric, uh, but he's just Eric Holmes to the rest of us. Our gremlin specialist, Eric, how you doing? Oh, lovingly and accurately describe me as Dirty Uncle Eric, <laughs> so it works out. But doing pretty uh, good. I'm excited to talk about Gremlins. I'm real excited that uh, Brennan hasn't seen it up until now, so... Uh, it's always neat to, because like I have a lot of nostalgia for this, so it's always neat to see new people watch it and see what they think, whether they love it or hate it, if it still resonates with them. Yeah. Well, before I pass the con over, uh, normally we ask our guests what they love about Star Trek, but this one I'm going to uniquely ask, without giving too much of the plot and everything away, what is it about Gremlins that you fell in love with to make this one of your favorite movies? So when this came out, uh, I wasn't able to see it. Um, mostly because like, you know, we had a big family, so we didn't get to the theater all that often. Uh, but this was a movie that, um, so my grandma got us all the, uh, storybooks with, they came with the, with the records. I think they got them at like Burger King or Hardee's or what, wherever they were giving those out at. And so, um, you know, I would watch the, the, the trailers. I would listen to those storybooks and read through them. Uh, our neighbors saw gremlins that would tell me about them. So it was like this movie that I couldn't see, but I really wanted to. There was like a bunch of mystery to it. And oddly enough, I can't remember the first time I seen it. It just like I I just kind of put so much gremlins into me that by the time I seen it, it was just like it's always been there. And so then, uh, you know, I would watch it anytime I could. And then, you know, a couple of years go by and eventually you get it on VHS or DVD again, get to watch it. And it's still held up to me. Um, Cause sometimes you'll watch a movie as a kid and then you'll go back and watch it and go, Ooh, I should have, <laughs> I should have left that in the memory banks, but this one just still stuck with me. And I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, it works as the, uh, it works as a comedy works as a horror works as a, a, a you know, romantic, you know, uh, romance between Billy and Kate. Uh, works as a satire works as a christmas movie like it, it takes so many genres and it just and if, by my in my opinion it nails every one of them that it attempts in various ways absolutely for me uh i actually watched them in reverse i saw gremlins 2 growing up before i ever saw gremlins <laughs> uh and let me say that when you watch them in reverse order, uh, it changes how you see things just a little bit. <laughs> 
but I I enjoyed these two. I I love these. It introduced me to Howie Mandel, uh, and then Bobby's World after that. Um, but I just I love the darkness and the the horror the horror of it all, uh, and the fact that we have this and uh, uh and Indiana Jones the the second Indiana Jones film to thank for PG thirteen now being a rating in the system. Mm-hmm. Both Spielberg yeah. films. Who knew? For better or worse, that's what it is now. <laughs> All right, but uh, let's go ahead and turn the con over to Commander Mar. Brennan, go ahead. All right. So as has been mentioned, I saw this film the first time this past Tuesday, uh, and I knew about it. I knew some of the details. I knew such as Gizmo was the name of the main gremlin. I knew the rules of that gremlins. I knew various other things. Um, and I knew that they, at some point in the movie, would turn into evil versions. But I really got to see it. And and I knew, as a cinema fan, that it's this movie and Raiders of Lot, um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that we have to thank by the creation of the TG-13. But to those listening to our typecast who may be too young to know, in those days, there was G, PG, R, and X were the only ratings. But because these films in the early 80s, even though they were rated PG, were definitely moves that people would take their kids to the horrifying nature of many of these films is what led Steven Spielberg to propose to the NDAA that there be an intermediate rating of PG-13. And it's funny to go back and watch movies from the 70s and early 80s that were PG. You'd watch it now going, wow, you'd never get away with that today. And keep it PG-13. And speaking of which, we'll get into it in a movie. There are things you could do back then that you probably couldn't do in movies today without major backlash. We'll get there in a minute. Uh, but yes, so we are looking at Redlands. Directed by Joe Dante, written by Chris Columbus, and produced by Steven Spielberg. That's quite a, quite a trio right there. And um, in fact, Spielberg makes a cameo in this movie. Mm-hmm. A very small cameo. We'll come to that in a minute. Among many other legends. Yeah. So let's get into the plot here. We all kind of know the plot. Is that the Pelzer family gets a gremlin. And the rules are that uh, you can't feed them after midnight, and you don't want to get them wet. And unfortunately, these rules get violated, and everything goes haywire. That's the basic plot. Now, getting into the actual story, and it's you know it's like any story. We're not going to go beat by beat, but let's just say that Randall Peltzer, who is the patriarch of the Peltzer family. Is in Chinatown looking for a very special Christmas present. 
He's an inventor and a bit of a risk taker. Well, in this shop, he finds a little creature that the owner calls a mugwai, which is Cantonese Chinese for devil. The owner doesn't want to sell him it, but the grand the owner's grandson does sell it to Mr. Pelter, giving him the three rules: do not expose it to light, don't put it in contact with water, and don't feed it after midnight. Mr. Peltzer returns to Kingston Falls, where he gives it to his son, Billy, as a pet. Billy works in the local bank with his dog that is hated by the woman who basically owns the town, Mrs. Beagle. We'll get to her in a minute. Um, Gizmo is a good gremlin, and Gizmo realizes what will happen if the rules are violated. Unfortunately, some water accidentally gets on him, leading to five more Mogwai to spawn from him. Now, the other five Mogwai, led by Stipe, or Stripe, uh, these are ones that seem to have a desire to go insane. And they basically want to go crazy and go nuts in the town. Uh, they trick Billy into feeding them after midnight. By you know, uh, turning off his alarm clock, basically, they eat. They go into cocoons, and then when they come out, they are the evil version that are referred to as gremlins, and torture Gizmo and attack Billy's mom. Uh, Billy's mother, uh, let's just say, proves herself more than capable. And kills three of them in pretty horrific ways. This might be what led to the PG-13 rating. One of them gets killed in a blender. One of them gets stabbed to death. One of them gets put in a microwave and blows up. Now, absolutely disgusting. Mm -hmm. And they manage to kill all the gremlins except for Stripe. Stripe goes to the local YMCA, jumps in the swimming pool. For hundreds of gremlins spawned from him. Um, Billy and his girlfriend Kate are hiding out. Kate confesses that she hates Christmas because of a very twisted turn of events. Her father dressed as Santa Claus when she was a child. Brad climbed down the chimney, got stuck, broke his neck, and died, uh, leaving her rather scarred. The gremlins go out and cause havoc in the town, including killing Mrs. Beagle. And you know what? We don't feel too bad about that. But Mrs. Beagle threatened violence against Billy's dog, which if it's one thing we've learned nowadays, never threaten violence against a dog in a movie. Or you will have people calling for your death. And in her case, because she actually dies, justice is served. It's then up to Kate and Billy to figure out a, a wild way to kill all the gremlins. The gremlins invade the local movie theater where they watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. 
<laughs> now, mind you, as all this is going on, Billy's dad, Mr. Pelzer, is at an invention convention where we see several luminaries from science fiction history. Getting Robbie the Robot, Steven Spielberg on a sit-down tricycle, the time machine from the original movie, which mysteriously disappears, by the way. Doctor um, Who? Doctor Who. Even the composer Jerry Goldsmith has a minor cameo here. Uh, the Billy and Kate turn on the gas in the theater and light it on fire, killing most of the gremlins that strike the skate. Gizmo and Billy and Kate chase down Stripe. The fourth, he is able to put himself in water and create more gremlins. Gizmo opens the blinds. Stripe is killed. And Mr. Wing, the owner of the shop in Chinatown, shows up and basically scolds them for not taking care with nature's gifts. Billy bids a tearful goodbye to, uh, to Gizmo. And the, there is, of course, the possibility that not all the gremlins were defeated. But as, of course, we saw, the water a remnants of Stripe's body beginning to bubble. And Mr. Wing leaves with Gizmo saying, when you've learned, when you've learned to be ready, Gizmo might come back to you. And that is the end of the story of Gremlins. So we're going to go through each element of that goes into the film. So we're going to start with the story. So we'll start with our guests. Eric, give us your thoughts on the story of this movie. Uh, I mean, it's basically a uh, just I don't know what you would say. It's basically a uh, basic story just to hang uh, hang a bunch of uh, chaos onto, uh, similar to Gremlins two. Um, yeah, it's, it's most. Um, I think a lot of it's supposed to be like a kind of a throwback to uh, um. What do you call it? like Norman Rockwell, you know, kind mm -hmm. of landscape. So mm -hmm. you got this, uh, you got this, uh, really uh, quaint looking town, and uh, uh, nothing wrong could go here until you start bringing in the uh, mm -hmm. uh, gizmo and then not, you know, not respecting it, so to speak. And then it just, uh, turns and even out. the name of the town, Kingston Falls, is a reference to Bedford Falls, mm -hmm. yeah, the quaint little town and its wonderful life, which yeah. they happen to be watching in one scene here. And then you also have like a just a bunch of different uh, uh you know like character characters like uh you know you mentioned Mrs. Deagle the the evil the evil the witch evil of the lady town. owns the town uh, yeah yeah you got uh Ram Pelser, the you know the dad he's not mm -hmm. there most of the time but we keep cutting to him he's kind of an idiot <laughs> mm -hmm. um and then you got uh uh Mr. Futterman uh mm -hmm. the town racist uh yeah. To put it to put it lightly, um, we'll come to him in a minute. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and then you got like the sweet love story between uh, Billy and Kate. Um, mm -hmm. and and of course you mentioned the uh, Kate's backstory, which is there. Um, uh, maybe we'll get to maybe we'll get to that later. But there's I think uh, I know where you're going. There's that. a certain spot in uh, Kate's backstory where she's like getting towards the end of the story, and it's like, and that's when they pulled out my dad and cuts the Gizmo. Gizmo's like. Hey, <laughs> like his eyes just light up. Like, yeah, you well, found him. It's like, yeah. no, Gizmo, no. 
that's not good <laughs> yeah it's not good yeah yeah it's, but, it's an interesting story as you say it isn't there you know your standard Spielbergian kind of story quaint little town you know yeah this the the story is not story's not that deep it's mostly uh i think where this movie shines is more about the characters yeah and, we'll and then once the and then once the gremlins come it's like let's just watch yeah. the mayhem play out it, it's full of mayhem yeah i think you're absolutely right the story is not the strong part here it's really the framework in which we can see the chaos yeah and I think that's true for most movies. Yeah, like that's the, the the story is rarely the best part of well, particularly those Amblin entertainment kind of movies. Yeah. So Ingle, Captain Ingle, your thoughts on the story here? Um, the story is very simplistic to me, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, mm -hmm. it allows you, as Eric said, to play into the chaos, and I like that very much. You you get to know kind of the setup what's going on here this quaint little beautiful town with the little tiny bank and the tiny montgomery ward and the one theater like it is very norman rockwelly and you know you watch as the chaos ensues and everything breaks down and goes into havoc um and it plays to that strength well uh you don't need a lot of complexity in this film this is not yeah. a complex film also, it's simplistic beginning, maybe some of the reason why some parents thought, oh, this will be fine for the kids. And then it goes. I think Gizmo was part to blame on that one. That's well, the, true. That's the true. Word, the weird thing about that, though, is like, and you mentioned that, you know, this created PG 13, but keep in mind, this was also like, uh, like kids would go watch Rambo. They make it's a true. Rambo, they made a Rambo cartoon. It's true. Right? They made a, uh, uh you know, they would sell uh, kids Halloween costumes of Freddy Krueger. Now, what is Freddy Krueger most known for doing to kids? <laughs> like, the, like there were so many things around this time that were clearly not meant for kids, but they still marketed towards kids regardless. And, 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 and they marketed to everything, you know? Yeah, yeah they and, like, like RoboCop. They had they marketed, a, yeah. Yeah, they had RoboCop toys. RoboCop was not anywhere near PG when it came out. And so, you know, it's not like the 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 re the way that Gremlins and uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom became the uh, oh we need a PG thirteen. It's like ah uh, yeah, but then he just went and started making RoboCop cartoons. Yeah. So like what yeah. what does it matter? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> mm -hmm. So now we come to well, let me get my thoughts on the story. Uh, yeah, the story is very simple. It's sort of the basic bare bones that you need to tell this story. Um, the idea of a quaint town invaded by these nasty little creatures, you know, that's fun. Called the humans. And, oh, and, the gremlins. You're talking about the gremlins. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> and the idea of just, you know, the, the basic building blocks of the story. Oh, very much like the like the kind of movies that came out. The, the Goonies, the E.T. Uh, kind of movies where the story was not necessarily the strong part. So, yeah, the story's not great here, but now we're going to come to what I think makes this movie great in many ways, and that's the characters. So let's talk about the characters. So let's go through each character individually, at least the ones that stand out. It's important to point out 
point out here that those of you who are fans of Breaking Bad will recognize a certain actor here. Jonathan Banks, who plays Mike Ehrmantraut in Breaking Bad, plays one of the police officers in the town. Deputy Brent. Deputy Brent Fry. Yeah. Not necessarily a big role, so not much we need to say about him. Then, of course, we have to mention a young Corey Feldman. I think a small role in this film is Teeth. It's a little kid who apparently comes and hangs out at the Peltzer's house because he does. We never really get any reason why he's ever there. And he yeah, doesn't seem at all bothered to see Gizmo, which I think is kind of funny. There's a, a, a quick uh, note about Pete. Um, in the original screenplay, uh, there's a part where I, after the Kremlins are kind of just wreaking havoc, um, before it like comes to a peak, uh, Pete's walking along and there's a, uh, a snowman. The snowman's kind of moving. And he's like, what the hell's that? And he goes towards the snowman. A gremlin's arm grabs him and pulls him into the snowman. So Pete, Pete, don't make it in the original screenplay. That's the wow. uh, same for a lot of characters in, mm, okay. in this. Uh, the, there's that a lot would... of uh, big changes from the the original screenplay to what we saw. Yeah, that would have been a bit dark. Oh yeah, the it's mom again. The movie's already kind of dark. Uh, Lynn Pelzer, the mom. Uh, yep. she, the that whole scene. As I recall, that whole scene isn't there with her killing the gremlins. It's uh, Billy comes home, opens the door, and his mom's head comes rolling down, yeah, down the stairs. That would have been a bit even more nuts. Yeah. And uh, Gizmo and Stripe are the same character in the original script. Oh, interesting. So Gizmo eats after midnight and becomes a gremlin with all the rest of them. And he's the, interesting. He's the leader. Interesting. So... Uh... We come to those characters. Now we get to that one minor character that I did want to bring up, and that's Mr. Wing. The Chinese man who owns the store, who, by the way, is played by Key Luke, who some of you who are old enough might remember him as the um, going way back to like the 30s in. You know, the original Charlie Chan films, which maybe aren't as uh, definitely not politically correct, but at least in this guy's case, he is actually Chinese. Which I think is quite interesting. Um, in the original Green Hornet film serials, he was Kato. Oh. And he was in the original Kung Fu series. He was the original voice of Brack in Space Coast. He's got quite a career. Nice. Well, he's not necessarily the biggest role, but I thought we would mention it. But now we get to the characters that are interesting. We have, of course, Judge Reinhold from Beverly Hills Cops in here. Uh, it's one of the guys at the bank. And Gerald Hopkins. And then we get to the first character that we're going to actually talk about in depth is Dick Miller, the great Dick Miller. As Mr. Thunder, Dick Miller is one of those faces that we have seen in so many things, including Star Trek The Next Generation, Captain Engel. In the episode The Long Goodbye, he was the newspaper salesman. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. So as our guest mentioned, uh, Mr. Thurman is a bit of a, a bit of a racist, shall we say? A little bit. He has or, a thing a, about a lot, rather. <laughs> a lot. He has a thing against foreign technology. Anything foreign. He's like they're always writing gremlins in it, which is a reference to a myth from World War II. Which is where the idea of gremlins comes from. Sort of the legend of these mischievous little creatures messing with technology. Mm-hmm. That's where the word gremlin comes from. Um, and Mr. Thurderman would be of the generation that would have probably fought in the war. Oh, yeah. He, he mentions uh, more than once that he's yeah. uh, uh, fought in good old yeah. WWII. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, and he's a great character, that he is definitely your your crazy gun-toting right-wing neighbor that I think we all probably had at one point or another in our lives. Yeah. Or who I might be related to in some cases. Um, anyhow, but yeah, so let's get our thoughts. Captain Ingle will start with you. Your thoughts he- on Mr. Thunderman. You know, he's very indicative of Americana, as you would expect coming out of the 1950s. Mm, good point. Um, you know, th- this is a guy who's gone, as we said, through, as he said, through World War II, gone through the communist scare. I mean, this is probably your average Midwestern, maybe maybe even like uh, Upper Appalachian kind of uh, just down-home American. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this is the guy. And yet... He through all his racist tendencies, he's a lovable guy. You know, they they liked him so much they brought him in to the second movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is a guy who's not it's it's not like Mrs. Mrs. Deagle. Mrs. Deagle, mm. we don't like her. But Mr. Futterman, you like the Futtermans. They're kind of goofy, they're a little silly, their their intentions are pure, even if their their uh understanding is archaic. I think uh, I think where uh, Mr. Futterman gets away with uh, being a racist, where Mrs. Deagle doesn't get away with being a witch, is that Mrs. Deagle has power over people. Mr. Futterman's uh, old alcoholic, just you know, crazy like mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's like he he's got he's got outdated views, but no one really takes him seriously and because Billy likes he, him he, he doesn't he have power Billy. over anyone. Yeah. He's almost like more the dad to Billy than Billy's own dad, right? But Billy's bit, dad is yeah. often very often gone. You know, and, and and think about it. Who saves the day? In the, well, in in the end, of course, it's Gizmo that saves the day. But mm-hmm. no, I'm when after uh, uh, um, Billy's dad or Billy's mom fought the gremlins and to get him out, and they see that she's injured. Uh, where do they bring him to? The Futtermans. I wouldn't have brought them right next door. I might have run away as fast as I could. But it's the Futtermans who are there, you know, uh, uh, who gives us the idea of gremlins and sets us up in the first place. It's the Futtermans. Yeah. I love it. I, I love Mr. Futterman. He's a great oh, character. Hmm? You said Billy brought his mom to the Futtermans. He, Billy... he brings her, he brings her to a different uh, neighbor's house. It's not the Futtermans house. Cause the Futtermans get ransacked by the gremlins later on. Yeah. I thought that. Uh, the, the... Did I no, miss, oh, I thought it was the no. Futterman's it was a, it was a it, it was like a real quick scene, but it's not the Futterman's house. It's a, in a, a camera. It was. I must have been quick. that quick because I thought they brought him right over to the Futterman's. I'm like, oh, that you're makes absolutely sense. right about Mr. Futterman. He really is a good guy. He really is. Mm-hmm. 
he's like your crazy uncle that even though he says stuff that's kind of offensive, he's a good guy and he'll be there for you in a minute. Yeah. That's the kind of character he is. And Dick Miller is one of those just reliable character actors. He's got kind of that yeah. Columbo quality to yeah. him. A little rough, yeah, a little, little bit rough. Peter but... Folk, yeah. yeah. There were a couple times, yeah. actually, I thought it, I asked if that was Peter Folk. <laughs> I was sitting there. He's kind of got that folkish nature to him. Yeah, I think uh, Dick Miller reading The Princess Bride to his grandson would have been interesting. Oh, that would be sweet. <laughs> so it takes, takes place in the country of foreign, not an American country. I actually wouldn't mind seeing Dick Miller as Kolchak with the Night Stalker oh, movies. There we go. That's great. But yeah, I, okay. I like I like Futterman. He's harmless. I like him even more in the second movie. And we're not talking about the second one, but I, I like the character. Yeah. Uh Eric, your thoughts on Mr. Futterman? I like him as a character. Uh and again, like ra- racist stuff aside, is kind of he's just kind of like the the meek old man that's you know. Uh, is it just me? Maybe give the best acting performance in this movie. Uh, that'd probably be Howie Mandel's Gizmo. No, but, okay, that's true. Uh, <laughs> as far as uh, human acting performances, oh, um, shoot, I don't know. Probably be Hoyt Axton, actually. I kind of mm, uh, is fair. uh, Rand Pelser, it, like fair. he's kind of he's kind of here and there, but yeah, we'll uh, get him. Yeah, I, I don't see him as an actor. Like he feels like a like even though he plays a dad, he's got that very avuncular kind of uh, yeah, uh, kind of tone about him that really works. So cool. maybe give it to him or yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, if... M- M- Mr. Futterman's great or it, uh, Dick Miller's great as well. If we're talking performance, performance, then I'm giving Ms. it Deagle. to Miss Deagle. Yeah, <laughs> no, it okay. takes it takes a lot to hate somebody. Now yeah. that you mentioned it, that's going to be our next character. So let's discuss Holly Holiday as Ruby Deagle. Ruby Deagle is sort of your. She reminded me of remember in the Wizard of Oz. Yes, the the, the normal world version of the Wicked Witch. Amira Gulch. Myra Gulch, yes. The, the your dog will have to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Funny that her purpose seems to be the same thing. <laughs> Which is funny because, as I said, in our modern society, threatening violence on someone's dog is a big no-no. And uh, yeah, that certainly doesn't stop Mrs. Deagle. And by the way, I think her name is perfect because Deagle is the Lord of the Rings name. Um, just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. Still differently, but Mrs. Deagle is the Nashville witch. The kind of woman that sort of rules the town. People are sort of afraid of her and kind of bow to her every will. And she's a cat lover, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, crazy cat lady, I believe. Oh, crazy cat lady. And, <laughs> I don't know uh, that she loves say, them, but she definitely has them. <laughs> let's just say the end that she meets is, I don't feel too bad to her. No. Um, it, it, and it's a very creative death, too. Um, and uh, but it, it's great because she definitely corresponds to the archetype of that kind of character. The, the evil lady who hates your dog and thinks she owes the town. And I must say her wardrobe is great because it really evokes that kind of character with the animal fur neck thing and the 
the weird hat and just the, the old style of dressing. Now, is it said that her family basically created the town? Is that, is that, did it say that somewhere in the movie? Oh, what's that? That her family basically created the town. Oh, I don't remember anything like that. But I know that I, they, I, I, she probably that's... owns the town, but I, I don't know they that she it, built yeah. the town or anything like that. That doesn't bother me. If that's the case, it would fit. It would fit the character. It makes sense. Yeah. So Mrs. Deagle is definitely the character you you love to hate. Um, it sounds like her husband was probably really rich. That might be where a lot of their money because they live in quite a nice house. And, oh, for uh, the time, yeah. Yeah, threatening the dog Barney for shame. So, Eric, what are your thoughts on Holy Holiday and Mrs. Deagle? Uh, again, uh, another character um, that is just you, you love to hate. I mean, she's a great foil in this. Um, definitely a crazy cat lady, and she's so greedy that she names all of her cats after different <laughs> denominations of money. I believe she uh, yes. Yes. Like Kopeck, Peso, and Dollar Bill are three yes, names of her cats that she gets um, out. Interesting to note. And the, the the first time you see her, like she's walking around with that with that oh, the yes. head of her imported Bavarian snowman, your dog broke it this yes. morning. <laughs> um, yes. The Excellent. one guy's like, oh, good day, Mrs. Deagle. What's good about it? Oh. Yeah, what's good about it? I mean, her first line gives you what kind of character she is. Yeah, you got the you got the mom outside the bank asking for an extension, and she's like, "Well," or she, she's sitting there with her two kids, and Mrs. Deal looks at her two kids just with absolute contempt, just like these two deadbeats. <laughs> it's like they're like five years old. Come on, yeah, that's that's some Scrooge like stuff right there. And so, and, like uh, right right away, like this is the first time you see Mrs. Deagle, and already, yes. you're like oh, immediately. I just immediately want to choke the crap the out of her, but I'm gonna love wanting to choke the crap out of her. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, <laughs> when 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 she finally meets her demise, oh, uh, yes. when the gremlin, oh, and she almost screwed up horribly. It's like carolers. I hate carolers. Like if she wasn't an evil witch, she'd be fine. Because she would have heard carolers, you know, did nothing about it, or maybe looked out the window or whatever. She would never have opened the door to throw water at him, which, by the way, that would have been a terrible idea on her part. Mm. But she didn't know that. But, like, the, her her um, her demise comes from the fact that she just hates people. Like, it, it, if she just lived and let lived, she wouldn't have died that way. She would just yeah. been inside of her house playing with her cats and... And Gremlins probably would have moved on or something. I love that her death is very much consistent with the tone of this movie. It's hilarious and dark at the same time. Yeah. And very creative. I love getting catapulted out your own window by your basically your 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 uh, stair elevator. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And also to those who might be old enough to remember uh Tully Holiday. Who plays Mrs. Deagle? Played the character Flo on the sitcom Alice in the 1970s. That's where she was most famous from. And I knew that I recognized her face because she's been in a lot of movies still. But yeah, immediately the first like couple of minutes of meeting her, you know what this character is all about, and that's that's good. Um, 
That's good characterization. Captain Ingle, thoughts on Mrs. Deacon? Real quick, I messed up. She probably would have died because uh, the gremlin came in through the cat door. It wasn't mm, when yeah. she opened the door, so that was my yeah. mistake. But go on. I I hate this woman, and it's great. I mean, for me, it wasn't even so much like uh, when when she wouldn't grab the extension. It's when she rushes into the bank the second time, and you'd hate her by now, but she just pushes somebody out of the way. Deposit this into my account. I was like, I, I wanted to be that person who got pushed out of the way. Hey, Karen, move it. You know, like, I hate her so much. And that's, again, she does such a good job of making you hate her. There's no redemption. And I'm a cat person. I wanted to find some redemption in her love of cats. But you know what? I can't. Uh, she got her comeuppance. Uh, the physics of it, I have no idea how it would work. Uh, I think even Mythbusters tested that that out to see if it would work, and it wouldn't. But that's what I love about it. Like, it's just so surreal. Uh, and she got such a poetically justice uh, uh, ending to her. Uh, but I, yes. I enjoyed her. And the classic comedy image of falling into the snow at just such a stiff angle. Mm -hmm. Your classic a cartoonish kind of death. So now we have to talk about... Um, a character who is surprisingly tough. And that's, uh, that's Lynn Peltzer, mom. That's Billy's mom, Mrs. Peltzer, played by Francis Lee McCain. And let's just say that the, this is the, this is her first time in her 80s lineup in playing people's moms. She plays the mom in Gremlin. She plays Lorraine's mother in Back to the Future. She plays the mom in Stand by Me. And I believe there is one more in the mom in Footloose. Now, needless to say, she's played moms, and that's where I recognize her as Back to the Future. And let's just say that her character doesn't maybe get a lot of screen time, but when she fights the Gremlins, she actually reveals herself to be pretty tough. Um, yeah. And and killing, I think, four out of five gremlins. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, that's pretty impressive. Um, uh, three of them. Billy kills the fourth one. Yeah, because... Billy uh, kills the fourth, yeah. Yeah, the, it, it gets a drop on her and starts choking her. And Billy cuts its head off and goes flying in the, yeah. in the fireplace. But yeah, she... Um, she's pretty Sorry, tough. I'm a specialist. She's a tough <laughs> She's a tough cookie, and I think that reveals that that you know. Let's not underestimate moms in our movies. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, uh, let's go to you, Captain Ingle. Thoughts on Mrs. Peltzer? Um, she's a kickbutt kind of mom, and it impressed me. Uh, the fact that she took out three of them on her own, cornered. Uh, I did very well. I was very impressed, but it also shows that. The gremlins overall will get you in numbers, but they are not intelligent. We'll talk more about that with our future in Gremlins 2 about intelligent gremlins. But the overall, they're not intelligent. They're very base carnal creatures that happen to be pretty good with wiring and technology. Other than mm -hmm. that, they're not planners. They're not smart. Uh, opportunistic, yes. But I don't think of them as smart. Getting in the situations that they did... You know, they got killed because they were stupid. 
<laughs> you know, but I, I love that she took care, took care of things. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it just, she shows how strong she is, you know, and she doesn't overly freak out when she could have. Yes. Well, she freaks out, but she doesn't turn into the damsel in distress. I mean, when she's choked, Billy saves her, but hey, she outnumbered Billy. She killed more than Billy did by hand and yeah. still very impressive. Yeah. And you're right. She doesn't panic. She handles it pretty, pretty strong. Um, so yeah, she's a great character, I think. Uh, Eric, thoughts on Mrs. Pelter? I I I love her. I mean, I'm just a broken record at this point. I love all the characters in this movie because it's a perfect movie. It's the greatest movie ever made. Uh, but uh, just kind of like how uh, sweet she is, uh, especially like the scenes between her and Billy early on. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, she's uh, Billy just gets home from work and then she's watching It's a Wonderful Life. Just kind of and Billy sees like, oh, what's wrong? It's like, oh sad movie like you know she's you know but then uh you know the uh Rand Pelcher comes home she's like we'll talk like you you get the you get the sense that she's carrying a lot on her she's carrying a lot on her shoulders um that she probably shouldn't otherwise but she just does it and she does it with grace and then when something happens such as a gremlin she's like oh hell no so this mm-hmm. is a crazy analogy, but go with me on this. You remember watching the Rugrats? Mm-hmm. No. Okay, okay. Uh, maybe Eric. Did, I, but... I did. I did. Okay. So Tommy's parents, right? Yeah. She reminds me of Dee Dee, while uh, Mr. Peltzer reminds me of Stu. He's that yeah, both are inventors, kind of a mad scientist, not really around a lot, loving, very loving, but not always around. And it's left to mom to kind of run run everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it very much reminds me of that. Only the the Rugrats often act as gremlins <laughs> in yes. their own way. But uh, I see her as that kind of character. You know, she doesn't have her husband around, but she loves him. Oh, definitely. Yeah the yeah. the whole the whole idea of uh, uh, when she's on the phone and she's you know the phone's not working, the invention's not working, and she's like. You know, she she won't say, "Oh, it doesn't work." She's like, "Oh, I'm sure it works fine." It was just, you know, mm-hmm. the, this was right here. Like, she, she, mm-hmm. like the you know, she can't stand to. Uh, She's not going to badmouth her husband's work. Yeah, or or her husband, or her son, or anyone in her family. It's true. You get on the wrong side of her. Else. God help you. Yeah, if you get on the, I mean, she's like my mom. It's you get on the wrong side of my mom. You've got hectotype. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then of course that brings us to Mr. Pelter, Ram Pelter, played by the great White Axton, who's another one of these very familiar faces. Um, he's also a singer, a bit of a folk singer. Um, hey, he wrote uh, "Joy to the World," the Three Dogs Night song, not the Christmas song, but the "Joy to the People in the Deep Blue." He wrote sea. that. Wow. Yep, he yeah. wrote that. I think he also wrote another song called Cocaine Blues. I don't know who did that one, but also yeah, he, the he, inventor he, of the smokeless ashtray. Oh, wait. There you go. And the bathroom buddy. Yeah, and the bathroom buddy. And um <laughs> you know, and he's got that fatherly kind of feel. And even though he's a bit of a harebrained inventor, he loves his family. He provides for them very well. And he's he's real chill and he just, you know, you know. Loves his wife, loves his son. You know, it's just a character that people like, and 
even though he's a bit harebrained, he's everyone loves him, and he's just a lovable guy. And it's interesting that he, you know, wants to get the gremlin for his kids to Billy because the kid, the character of well, because Gizmo is something that he's never seen before. He has a curiosity with the new, with things that are different and out there. And and it's really, I think he's really a sweet guy. And I love his hilarious invent inventions that all go wrong. But uh, certainly, you know, he means well. And, uh, you know, it just really ahead of his time kind of guy because you know some of the stuff like the um the answering machine that they create you know it's maybe ahead of its time a little bit it's just just a sweet guy and i really enjoy him very much as a character and as you say he has that avuncular feel he acts more like your cool uncle than your dad kind of way yeah a little bit um so your thoughts on the dad uh, yeah, again, another banger of a character. I love uh there's a, a little moment. Um we we talked about Lynn Pelter and like how much she loves her family and his love for his family comes across too. And there's a there's a little tiny moment where um they're making the coffee and the coffee starts coming out fine and then it kind of starts coming out as sludge. <laughs> and that but <laughs> she uh you know Lynn's like, uh, I, I think something, I think, I don't think it's working. <laughs> he just looks at it. It just kind of makes it like, what? what's wrong with this? You know, it just kind of gives her that look and like the, just the chemistry between the, the two of them in that, that moment really works. Uh, you know, the, the way they kind of interact with each other when they are together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And kind of part of, part of me wants to say that he's not a great dad just because he's not there all the time but i think given the context of how mrs deagle's kind of you know has her thumb all over kingston falls like you you assume that he's doing what he can because you know uh, they they must be in some sort of depression at least within that area so you got to do what you can to make money and uh, he, he makes inventions and they seem to work for a little bit so you know good on him for that but first couple of times i believe uh his wife says <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 at first they were great and then after that just oh angle but on Mr. Well, Peltzer. Oh, real quick I, I think uh probably his worst thing is probably stealing gizmo because i mean he paid for him but mm, he, yeah. he essentially uh stole him um that's and and, and the weird thing is that he steals gizmo Gizmo goes back, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, these are the things, well, I gotta go do the thing. So, like, he's not even there for the chaos that he helped create. Mm -hmm. He just kind of comes back to us like, well, what happened? Ingle, thoughts on Mr. Peltzer? Uh, absentee dad, but with a heart of gold. Mm -hmm. You know, he's gotta do what he's gotta do. He does often come off to me a little bit as as a used car salesman, but not in a yeah. negative way. No, he's all right, friend. Let me tell you, you ever have this? You know, like he's always got a pitch for something, and I get it. You got to work hard, but this is the kind of guy who's just not there for his kid. But he tries his best. 
You know, he looks for a gift for his kids, something unique, something special. How you end up in an underground China shop, I have no idea, but okay. Um, By following an underage child. Yeah. <laughs> which is also not creepy. You know, wouldn't it be funny if that was like short round? Mm. Yeah. It would have been funny. Anyway, he's fine. He's yeah. fine. He's just... Actually, that, there's a lot in common with him and Mr. Futterman. They're like, you know, they definitely have their their huge flaws, but like just kind of the way they carry themselves, like the, you know, uh, mm -hmm. granted, uh, Bram Pelser is in a, a racist, uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, but he definitely has his uh, flaws just like Mr. Futterman, but he's somehow still kind of, still kind of root for him, probably because, like you said, their heart's in the right place most of the time. The um, what's interesting, I think, and then we come to well, okay, now we come to probably the biggest celebrity crush of everyone in that era, Evie Cates. Evie Cates, um, as Kate, um, Evie Cates is made most famous, I think. By a particular scene in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Now, I haven't seen that movie. I haven't seen that scene. Um, but I do know that when people talk about B.B. Cates and having a massive crush on her, that's the moment. Um, but as far as Kate, Kate's adorable. Um, Kate is real, yes, spunky. And as I said, she has a problem with Christmas. Um, but I think once she's able to talk about it, it helps her overcome a bit of that. And I think that just as the characters go, I really think that she's just sweet and very hardworking, as we see working two jobs. And she deals with the gremlins in some pretty, um, yeah. He has to deal with their nonsense. Um, and I think that just, I mean, I'll spoil my thoughts on the main character. I like her, I think, more than I like the, our main character. We'll get to that in a minute. I mean, I don't think her character is that complex. And certainly, I maybe would have liked to see a little more of her attitude toward Christmas displayed early on in the movie. That's maybe not like a light, but that's like a script writing issue. But I do like the character, and I and Phoebe Cates is a sweetheart. She's cute, she's nice. I could see why people would have had a crush on her at the time. And um, and there's not much more that I can really say about her. So, Eric, your thoughts on Phoebe Cates as Kate? Uh, watching Phoebe, uh, watching Kate and Billy kind of come together. Uh, is almost probably what it was like when Ran and Lynn got together. Because mm -hmm. uh, Kate's definitely a take-charge kind of person, whereas Billy's a little more aloof a lot of the times. Um, can't quite get it together. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Kate's upbringing and the tragedy You know, she uh, dealt with. Uh, you know, their dad tried to do something nice, ended up getting killed as a result. I'm sure there's a lot of PTSD with her. Um and unlike uh, Mr. Futterman, she didn't, uh, her PTSD didn't manifest itself into racism. It manifested itself into, I need to take care of, I got, I got responsibilities and things to take care of. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, 
but also she uh i think she recognizes good in billy which is why she seems to like him and why she rejects uh uh judge reinhold's character mm-hmm. gerald yeah um real quick story there i got to meet judge reinhold once uh he was like signing mm-hmm. stuff and and i had i had my uh uh gremlins uh uh one of the storybook things i mentioned earlier and i was like uh hey can you can you sign this i want you to sign something specific he's like oh say no more and here it's judge reinhold come on we're talking cable i was like that mm-hmm. was the, the exact line. <laughs> that, that 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 was funny i like that line but uh yeah kate um and in fact um when she has her run-in with the gremlins she's kind of holding it down on her own it's true um, and and then just much like Lynn, you know, Lynn Pelser, you know, kills three of the gremlins. Um, you know, they get the drop on her at the last second so Billy can come and save the day. But it's like, you know, Kate's got everything handled and in control until Billy comes in, swoops in at the last minute, like, look at me, I'm the hero. It's like, oh, I mean, they kind of had it without you, but that's that's fine. <laughs> Glad you came in to, to help with that last that yeah. last bit. Uh, Engel, thoughts on Phoebe Cates? I, I, I think she's sweet. She's very nice. Very, you know, it's very different from her Fast Times character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know how I feel, and it's possible because of time. I hate the Santa Claus story. I mm. can't stand her thing about the Santa Claus story to the point that it almost has become a parody of itself Mm. and the ridiculousness. And I know it's meant to be tragic and sad and like, Oh, like this is dark for you. Like, you know, I get it, but it just rubs me the wrong way for her. Um, And I think you're right, Eric, in that if we had had a little more early on, and this goes to writing, but we had had a little more from her character about not liking Christmas, you know, or if like she said, hey, I'll work Christmas Eve. It's not like I care, you know, or something that gives us an idea that, oh, she's avoiding Christmas. And we oh. get to the story, then that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. They kind of they kind of have that because they, they mentioned that why she's working working extra hours at the at the bar at I, didn't think they did, I, I didn't think they did it that well i don't know it's I, just I, i'm opinion. just saying like it, it's there and and even when uh uh early on when uh he's like uh what everyone loves christmas it's like you know like you, you can see early on whenever billy brings up stuff or killers or stuff i like she gets she gets kind of annoyed with them mm. That that mm-hmm. she even has to bring it up because she doesn't want to bring it up because it's painful for her because her dad died. Her dad was stuck in the I, I get it. It's just it's definitely not my favorite part. And and definitely I know that trope, this this movie kind of created that that. Uh I just I don't think it's acted out well. And it's kind of very heavy-handed a little fast. For a movie that's like this, too, that's weird to feel that way. But it just it feels very heavy. I, I'm just not a big fan. Otherwise, I, mean, I like it, her. It does feel a little... I mean, the tone of this movie is very interesting. Oh, tone's all over the place. Because it's all over the place. So. <laughs> Same with the sequel. Even more okay. so, probably. All right. And then we come to Billy and Sills. Uh Played by... Uh, I got the name here of Bill, Zach, Gilligan. Uh, Zach Gilligan. And I gotta just honestly say, Billy, even though he's the main character, 
I don't think he's that interesting, personally. Uh, I think he's kind of there because he's the main character. He has a nice bond with Gizmo. That's kind of nice. But I just don't find the character to be very interesting. And I guess that we'll combine the two. So we'll talk about Billy and Gizmo as sort of a, a, a duo. Um, Gizmo, of course, is voiced by Harry Nandel. And, it, and Gizmo is the show stealer here. Uh, he really is. And the puppeteering work on him is brilliant. To make him more interesting than Billy. And, you know, maybe it looks a little dated by modern standards, the puppeteering. But I think that his character is far more interesting than Billy. And so I think that Gizmo is really what makes this movie more than the actual main character of the movie. So those are my thoughts on Billy and Gizmo. Now, Captain Engel, thoughts? I I love Gizmo. Gizmo's very innocent, fun. It's he's he's great. Um, the only thing that bugs me about him a little bit is in the actual puppet design. Because there are a couple of 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 times we shoot to Gizmo close up, mm -hmm. and the design look of him is a little more menacing than this cuddly character that I remember. And then I'll be honest, when I watched the second film, they fixed it because there are some slight features that aren't there anymore for for the Gizmo. So I think they fixed it, but there are a couple times his close ups look make him look more menacing. Than it should. Uh, it's a minor, minor thing. I get it, uh, and and maybe I'm crazy, Eric. Uh, Eric, am I nuts on this? Um, you're not, but I have a, uh, I have a solution for what you're, what you're. And, and what is, is the solution? I need help. <laughs> um, what are gremlins known for? Being they, the... they mess up things. Yeah, they also break the fourth wall. There's parts in this movie that the gremlins got into the movie and mess it up. You see, like when uh uh. Rand Peltzer like sprays the stuff on his face and then it yeah. cuts to the it cuts to the scene and then cuts back and now the shaving cream's down here. Yeah. Scramble messing with stuff. There's a bunch of little tiny things like you'll notice in the background where like a like a coke can's like here and then it cuts away and now it's like here and then it cuts yeah. away, cuts back and it's right here. That's Gremlin's messing with the movie itself. Okay. Ooh. I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's really I mean, a minor it, thing it, for it's me. It's probably not intentional, but in in my head canon, it's like, oh, the gremlins got into definitely got into the movie and started <laughs> messing with things. Maybe that helps. Uh, it's just it's a tiny thing when it comes to Gizmo. When I look at him, I'm like, we're supposed to love him. We're supposed to, you know, I shouldn't look at him and go, dang that that's that's a little menacing look there, Gizmo. I'm just saying, you know, even I I, I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm nuts on it. Otherwise, I love Gizmo. I adore Gizmo. Gizmo is supposed to be the poster hero of this film. There's a reason why the merchandising went the Gizmo way. Because and he does save the day. Mm -hmm. He does. That's true. I think uh, I think where Zach Galligan and just Billy's character in general shines in this is that uh, he's he has good chemistry with everyone he shares a screen with. Whether it's Gizmo, whether it's Kate, whether it's Mom, whether it's Pete, like whenever Billy's there, I think uh, like even though like yeah he's probably uninteresting except for the fact that a twenty one year old 
still going to high school and somehow was with the parents, whatever. But um, I have no idea what that backstory is. Maybe the uh, gremlins got into the script. Who knows? But um, he's he's such like a pure soul. And and he's got great chemistry with everyone he shares the screen with. And I think just by virtue of him being there with the other characters, like him being there with, with Mr. Futterman, I think elevates Mr. Futterman. Him being there with Gizmo helps Gizmo become a character. Him being there with uh, Kate kind of helps elevate Kate. I think like he's not, he's not really, I, I, I don't know if I'm explaining this correct. It, it, it's not his character but his character is kind of like the salt for other characters. You put a little salt in it and it makes it a little better just by him being there, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's there. So that sort of brings us to the end of the characters. So let's can, talk. Can I ask real quick, real quick? And I know we're, there, we're there, tough one, on time. There, there is the science teacher. Yeah. It, oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. This was a guy that really rubbed me the wrong way. Like I, every time he was on scene, I I felt like uh, this guy's creepy. He really did the rub me teacher? off as creepy. The science teacher in in the classroom, the one that a Billy yeah. brings that he does all the testing on the gremlin and stuff like that. And I'm still like, he creeped me out. He's at a, hmm. a like a, a what was it like a, a high school at like eleven o'clock at night doing experiments. This guy's creepy. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get creepy from him. That uh, he was uh, married to Aretha Franklin, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Little and things. he was in many, many, many films and plays. He just he came off as creepy, creepy to me, man. I, I I never got I never got creepy from him. I got I got like like he's the he's the cool science teacher, like the one that you can, you know, like I I believe that Bill like it, if someone. Like was at home and saw like some weird thing. It's like, hey, uh, hey, Mister Hanson, what's what's up with this? Oh well, come here, child. Let me show you. And blah blah blah. Like, <laughs> like he, he, he'd be the cool guy that would not only help you figure figure out the thing through science as best as he could, but he'd also be genuinely interested in it. And of course, unfortunately, as often happens, the black guy dies first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, All you had to do was turn on. That's another thing. Turn on the light, man. Why didn't you just turn on the light when it was dark? My guess is that he probably couldn't. I'm because I know that they had the scene where the gremlin pulls the the phone cord. I I assume that the gremlin probably disabled the lights as well. Mm. Yeah. I would have been my first call in the darkness if I thought something was there. (laughs) Like, turn on the light. But anyway. But that that's the thing that too, because like uh normally in scenes like that, you have a threat there. And it's horror you're, movie you're, logic. Your your first thing would be get out of there. But hit like that's not how his brain works. His brain's like, ooh, the this thing metamorph metamorphosize. I want to see what this thing is. Like he's got it, his science brain is kind of leading him to his doom at that point. But like he's not afraid that it's a monster because he didn't know anything what it looks like yet. He's just like Ooh, this will be cool. Let's let's see what this you know, like he, he even says it's like, come on out. I just want to see it. I just want to take a look. Mm-hmm. And then the they, uh, I think the Haskins Earl Haskins. There's there's two gremlins, and I think that one's name is Earl or Haskins. Like this, like Wikipedia kind of stuff. But uh, 
He's like, no, you took my blood. I didn't like that. Now I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Off screen, of course, but, you know. Yep. All right. Well, that's that sort of the cast. Let's get into... um. We're going to talking about the music here. It's done by Jerry Goldsmith. Who makes an appearance? It, he yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. It's got that techno 80s synth-pop kind of sound. Very much in keeping with the time. Um, making good use of the Christmas soundtrack, too. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the... The look of the film is not necessarily remarkable in terms of the sets or the cinematography. But it does create that folksy um, Norman Rockwell Americana kind of feel, which is what you're going for here. Yeah. The uh, But then, of course, the visual effect. And we'll get there in a moment, but before we get there, let's talk about the references other science fiction angle do you uh, want to take that one i do uh before science fiction though i i want to tie this into kind of its design uh, and it goes to a cameo that shows up here that i didn't find out until till two days ago really oh, um what i'm thinking uh, probably um so especially when the gremlins and the mogwai start showing up it's very cartoonish and being a warner brothers picture who is bigger in warner brothers animation history than chuck jones and the mm -hmm. craziness and wackiness. And Chuck Jones makes an appearance in this as an animator, Mr. Jones, Billy's drawing mentor. It's quick, mm -hmm. but he talks to him. I, I had never seen Chuck Jones as an older man in real life. Uh, so the I had no idea bat, that was Chuck Jones. The old bat never looked better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, he shows, you know, it, one of those things that showed up that I really appreciated, but it goes to the 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 uh, anarchistic, crazy nature that we would see in Looney Tunes. You know, Bugs mm -hmm. Bunny, Roger, and what's even funnier, if we go further back, and this is where the references really start to kick in, uh, Back in the day, there was a story about the Gremlins that was done and created by um, Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl created a storybook. Mm -hmm. yeah. Disney actually was fascinated with this idea. Disney was tinkering with the rights to this, but never did anything with it. The first company to do something with it on an animated scale was Warner Brothers. And they created a Bugs Bunny short introducing us to the gremlin in warner brother form mm -hmm. so how fitting that you know 40 50 years later right 40 years later yeah about 40 years later yeah anyway 40 years later we get the gremlins warner brothers movie and we get an appearance from chuck jones kind of bringing the circle back around uh because mm -hmm. it was animated and voiced by chuck jones uh but you mentioned all the science fiction so I absolutely love the little Easter eggs that are hidden throughout here. Uh, a lot of it is in the airport, but there are other little things as you, as you go to. Um, you mentioned the time machine, which I love. Yes. The classic H.G. Wells time machine shows up right there. And they're like, you can't park. They're not talking, but you can see they're acting it out. You can't do this here. Uh, and the scene pulls away to Billy on, or to Billy's mom on the phone. And when they pull back, the time machine's gone. Yes. And everybody's <laughs> like, just like, what, what the happened? <laughs> I love that. Robbie the yeah. robot makes Robbie an appearance the robot. Yeah. twice. 
uh, the day the Earth stood still. By the still. way, Captain Engel, we need to do um. We do need to do the Forbidden original. Planet. Oh, Forbidden, Forbidden Planet. Planet. Yeah. I keep thinking of Day the Earth Stood Still, but we they all stole from movies. each other. We need to do both movies. Probably, yeah. There's a, there's a part early on when uh, we first see Billy as he's walked through Kingston Falls. Mm-hmm. It goes in front of uh, Burger King, by the way, which is another yep. part I'll, I'll yep. get into, because that that originally was supposed to come up later. But uh, like as he's walking through and we first see Billy, he's like, hello, Dr. Moreau. You know, just like yeah. it's kind of like a just a bunch of quick blinking mm-hmm. you'll miss it kind of reference uh yeah. doctor doc the fourth doctor shows up briefly he just passes the screen but if you look it's the fedora and and the scarf you can oh, you can you, it was uh uh t- tom baker was it actually baker uh i don't think it was baker i don't think it was baker but it was made to, to look this, like it was not yeah um yeah, uh, and then what's really cool is all of the movies that are playing too as we go through this. There, a lot of them are B movie stuff. Yeah, stuff yeah, that the you, blob. Yes, the blob. Oh, the blob was great. Uh, and one of the best references in here, and I still don't understand why the joke, but it just works, is the use of uh, uh, Snow White. Yes, how, they love how, it. How they love I it. Hope, how I, I, I want to know how much Steven Spielberg paid Disney to allow them to use that. Because I, I wonder if that well, relationship built a few years down the line into when Disney did uh Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I'm I'm thinking I know that in what's the counter the third kind? Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg directed our main character, Roy Neary. He's making a big deal about taking his kids to see Pinocchio on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if this is another Spielberg classic Disney reference. Possibly. Possibly Spielberg himself would have grown up on the classic Disney. I wonder if it's just uh, what uh, the value was to them at the time. Because like, you know, we, we did true. have like uh, VHS stuff, but like... Uh, like, does Snow White really have that much value as it would like today, for example? Like putting it, you couldn't get away with that today because you can monetize anything, at, you know, mm-hmm. if you're Disney. Whereas back in 84 or 83 when they shot this, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. um, you know, putting that together, it's like, hey, uh, can we it's use uh, Snow White? And they're like, eh, sure. Good <laughs> question. Um, it's a Wonderful Life is being watched on the TV mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I think that's in public domain. Yeah, um, yeah. And it is that, now. Is, yeah, is uh, you know, chaos coming to a small town mm-hmm. yeah. with a similar similar feel. Um, and then I mean, there's so many references here; it's crazy. Um, now this town, the town too, in a weird way, is a reference in its weird weirdness. Uh, if you look carefully. Uh, this is the exact same street layout and, and back lot used in Back to the Future. They wow. use the exact same area in the back lot. Uh, they, I don't know why they did, but they did. Uh, you know, I guess when it's covered with snow, it's not as easily identified. It isn't, although I wonder if the Burger King would give that away. Oh, so the, the Burger King... <laughs> That oh, was yeah. in the original yeah, script. Yeah, I read about this. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a part in the sc- original script where uh, I, I think Billy and probably Kate's with them at, at that point. I can't. It, it's been a long time since I read it, but 
he goes into the Burger King and everyone's dead. Like the gremlins went in and just ate everyone, but they made special, uh, they made a special point that are like, they didn't even touch the food. <laughs> like the gremlins <laughs> just went and ate the people. Actually, it, was bother McDonald's. With it was in McDonald's originally. No, it's a Burger King. That's, that's why the, this was the, in the town. Yeah. Yeah. That's why the Burger King was there. I think I assume that they were going to shoot that scene. I thought it was product it placement to be honest. And in the eighties, I mean, that kind makes of, sense. Happy meals well, and kids meals. To, and... According to kind um, of, but but it the the original intent was that was going to be a scene later on in the movie. Uh, yeah, according to Wikipedia, it was McDonald's originally, but you know maybe that's wrong. Yes. Uh, another movie. another small one is in the Montgomery Ward, uh, where where Stripe is hiding. He's hiding behind an ET toy. And mm-hmm. yes, Gilbert. a reference to the famous scene in ET. Mm-hmm. Where E.T. is fighting among the toys in the closet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, also, by the way, and now this Gizmo saved the day with a Barbie car. Yes. Yep. And and Eric, and, I, I just and I, E.T. What, who makes an appearance in E.T. Yoda, so, a gremlin yeah, from right, yeah. a long time ago in Galaxy <laughs> Far Far. Yes. Uh, uh, Eric. By the way, I just wanted to let you know I found this out. It was Hardy's, your book and forty fives. They yeah. were from Hardee's. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was either that or Burger King. I couldn't remember. But yeah. Carl's Jr. if you're out here in the West. But uh anyway, little things. Um, yeah, the, the references. references? Yeah, the, other... the, so many uh, other tiny things when you watch it. Uh, but that's what makes this so much fun is looking for those Easter eggs. This movie is actually worth watching two or three times in a row. And I mean that. Because oh. then you can find the little things. That's a big one we have to mention. Go ahead. Rockin' Ricky Rialto. The poster. Oh, oh Indiana the Jones. Show. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Spielberg and in the yeah. Played by an actual DJ named uh, Don Steele. Yes. Uh, and, oh, by the way, and the voice of Stripe is the great Frank Welker. Frank Welker. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, that uh, one I noticed, yeah. Pretty, pretty uh, him, Michael Winslow, uh, Peter Cullen is also one of the yeah, Peter uh, Cullen, yeah. Um, Mark Dodson, who does the uh, what's the the, the Jabba the Hutt's uh, little guy? Oh, uh, no. uh Salacious Crumb, yeah. Uh, Mark Dodson does uh, voice of gremlins in this. I, I got to meet him at one of the Comic Con things too, mm. and he, he was pretty mm-hmm. sweet. Jim and, Cummings uh, did some work in here too, as Captain Ingle mentioned up top. The voice that Howie Mandel does as Gizno leads to his voice on Bobby's World, which I grew up watching. Mm-hmm. That's generic. <laughs> Not generic. Yes. Uh, but yeah, chock full of references. I mean, this is a sci fi lovers sci fi movie, mm-hmm. if you really think about it. Yeah, there, there's also another. Uh... I don't know that's a cameo. I think it's his first movie, but Nikki Cat is in this. He's credited as school child. I've watched this movie over a hundred times. I don't know what Nikki Cat looks like when he was the age that he was supposed to be, or if it, maybe it was a, a deleted scene, perhaps. I have not been, I know Nikki Cat is in Gremlins. I've not been able to point him out like where he's at. My guess is that he probably just walks by real quick or something. I don't know. Yeah. So Nikki so- Cat's in there. So and, and I think there, this might be his first movie too. Are there any further references that we have missed? Uh, none right off that I can um, think of, but I would bet if, like I said, we rewatched some of these, we would we would catch a lot of them. Um, 
th there's so much and it goes by real fast. It took me years to see the uh, 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 the reference to the time machine. I had never noticed that till I was an adult. Like and Steven are... Spielberg on a recumbent tricycle. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Spielberg himself gives gives a making one of these very few cameos. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um... I, I think when you I think when you watch uh, finally get around to watching Gremlins too, you're gonna notice a bunch of uh, well, just stuff that they reference this movie. It I parodies think. itself, but in a good way. Yeah, especially but like that. We... Especially the part with the uh, <laughs> the movie theater. That's true. That's true. Yes, the Hulk Hogan. Very... They just keep asking for Snow White. We don't have that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and all of them in the movie theater. I mean, that's a meme. That's several memes right there. Mm. Of what it's like being in a theater with children sometimes. But no, no, no. Yeah. Well, I I don't know because I I haven't had an experience quite like that. Mm -hmm. uh, anyhow, so we come really quick as we draw to an end. A discussion of the themes and this this is not a deep movie i think the only one that i really wanted to maybe spend time on is how do we feel about mr wing talking about the corruption of nature how do we feel about that being in this film Ingle, we'll start with you i mean you've got to have a moralistic point something we can learn from this and i get it if you had listened, this wouldn't have happened. But we get a lot of that in stories in history. You, go, you can go back to Greek mythology and Pandora's box. You were warned not to touch this. You were warned, yeah, and then Aesop's something bad fables. happened. Aesop's fables. Yeah, Aesop's yeah. fables. We we get this consi uh, consistently. Like, what is the um, moral kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I mean, I think it makes sense given that... The, no, it's it's not having a care for nature is what causes this mess. Yeah. Uh, and not heeding the rules, too. That's mm -hmm. another... The rules... Yeah. Oh, I, Really, really quick, and Eric, you can help me here. Are the rules not the most ridiculous? Or especially the midnight thing. Are the uh, rules mid ridiculous? I've put a lot of thought into all of this. Uh, mm. The midnight thing is um, thereabouts midnight. So it's basically uh, the way I figure it is it has to do tale. where has to do with where the sun is in relationship to the position of the earth. So like it's the the midnight is like the safe time. So like from midnight to two, you don't want them eating there. Outside of that, you'll probably Chinese, be fine. And in Chinese folklore, yeah, those kind of things are important. Mm -hmm. um also the the uh original novelization of this uh gizmo is created by a uh alien scientist and so you'd figure that that has something to do with that Great. uh as Leland far as like the water there's 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 definitely like a like um a lot of parts where i mean they're walking in snow the whole time and not necessarily mm -hmm. uh yeah, not necessarily uh reproducing however the i think a lot of that has to do with uh the water being absorbed so if it's the if it's just snow sitting on you or frozen ice cubes sitting there it's not absorbing it's just sitting there so it's not like so if you get snow on your hand and you're gremlin you don't have the body heat that mammals do because you're you know a alien essentially so maybe you can't melt the snow but maybe you go inside and then the ambient temperature of the room melts the snow now you'll start multiplying 
but you'd never see him go in and out a bunch. You just either see him inside or outside. And when they're outside, they're usually with a bunch of other gremlins. So great. Know. Created by an alien scientist. So now it's Lilo and Stitch and Gremlins. Great. Well he's experiment that, three. That uh <laughs> there you go. That got uh that got changed a lot with the with the new yeah. Gremlins cartoon, The Secret of the Mogwai. They they go deep into the the where they came from. It has nothing um, to do with the what they had in the novelization. Yeah, um, and so thematically, I mean, yeah, I mean, we get and we get it. Don't mess with nature, and also the idea of having have a care with nature's gifts, as Mister Wing says. I think a good contrast to, or or a good example is. Mrs. Beagle does not have to care for nature's gifts uh, because she mistreats people who need help. The people who she can help, if she would only, you know, do something. And in a way, that's like not caring for nature's gifts. God is, or not God, but nature, is, well, it could be God. Nature has given you a lot of money. We are not doing anything to help you. Just like nature has given you the gremlins, but you're not heeding the rules. You know. So I think it works. I mean, does it feel maybe a bit like we got to tuck a moral under the end? Maybe. But well, I think a it Christmas makes movie. sense given the Christmas movie that Mr. Felter bought the gremlin without, you know, even though Mr. Wayne told him not to. You know, it's sort of like you get you. The moral is sort of not only is it out character nature's gifts, but if you've been warned, you know, it's like Pandora. It's like he wasn't supposed to open the box, but she did. It, it's that kind of story. So I think it works well enough. And given the time, you know, 1984, you know, there were cheesy messages in all kinds of movies. So, you know, what it. Um, yeah. Also, the uh, Gremlins. If you think about it, it was kind of a net positive on Kingston Falls. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you got rid of Mrs. Deagle, yeah, which is true. the main that's the true. main issue. So, really, the Gremlins. Maybe that's why we love the Gremlins. Secretly, yep. we know that they, <laughs> as much chaos as they uh, they uh, created, they it was a net positive on Kingston Falls. Also, uh, uh, Ingle, you said earlier about like the uh, gremlins being stupid. And I think I kind of agree, but kind of disagree a bit because I think they're more chaos than anything. To where, like, yeah. uh, they I, I think because they're they smart at causing chaos. <laughs> well, they they reproduce so quickly that I don't think they have much value for any life, let alone their own, because <laughs> all you need is a drop of water and 300 more of them will be made. It doesn't really matter. But uh, what matters to them is having a good time. So if good time means uh, let's, you know, drop someone at grinder because we think it'll be, or, uh, or, or a shredder a because we think it'll be funny, and, then that's what we're going to do. Or hang on a ceiling fan or, you know, do all kinds of, you know, yeah, like ourselves to death or, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely not smart behavior, but I think that's because they live their life through chaos and they don't really... They they you, don't you, value you their own. Drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Kind of attitude. There you go. There you mm-hmm. go. Okay, so then we come as we conclude our final thing we'll discuss. 
is the visual effects, the spectacle of the film. I think that for myself, I think I'll start is the the visual effects of the Gremlins are pretty good. Uh, they definitely have elements on occasion, particularly with the evil Gremlins, <laughs> of having that 80s stop motion nation kind of feel. But you know what? I actually kind of like that. It really gives it a charm of that time. And I think that also the um the, the there are moments where the visuals are adorable. There's moments where they're absolutely horrifying, like with Stripe dying. Yeah. Now, it's got that 80s cheese, but just in the right way to really give it that fun whimsy that I think they were going for. And even though it doesn't look great, it certainly looks better than maybe if they tried to do it with CGI nowadays. So, Yeah. Well, also they had an $11 million budget. Yeah, they had $11 million budget. I, so what are we I, I don't know what that would... I don't know what that would uh, be sure. these days. But I, I, I don't think uh, it was a huge budget back, back then, no, was no. it? Not big by today's standards, anyway. Even if you adjust for inflation. Um, so, Eric, uh, what are your thoughts on the spectacle of the film? I love them. the The puppets look great. Uh, the the you know all the special effects. I, I love the part, the stop motion part where all the gremlins come marching down, mm-hmm. hopping over each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I got nothing about it. In in fact, uh, just the designs, uh, Chris Willis's designs. Uh, I think I prefer. I go back and forth between the design on this one and Gremlins Two because I lo- I mm. love them both, but I think I prefer the ones in the original more. Um, and I guess that, that uh, another thing to point out, Chris Willis, who did the the creature designs on this, uh, was supposed to come back for Gremlins Two. But couldn't because he was directing the he was doing his directorial debut with the fly two when they were shooting Gremlins too. Mm. So that's why they got Stan Winston coming in. And then uh Stan Winston kind of like streamlined a lot of the, lot of the build signs. Ingle mentions like the gizmos kind of uh sometimes he looks this way, sometimes he looks this way, whether it's close up or far away or whatever. A lot of that got streamlined Gremlins too, but uh, again, you know, this goes back to my own headcanon where yeah, you can you can note flaws. I just chuck that up to Gremlins getting <laughs> in the film and so, messing things up. Um, I have got the privilege of seeing one of these puppets up close as a kid. Mm. Um, my my mom and grandfather had a friend who ran a a, a a she ran a daycare, but her son was a special effects artist. Or worked in the movies. I believe he was a special effects artist. And uh, I was maybe six. Maybe six or seven. Something like this. So this was like 1990. 91-ish. And she says, I have one of the puppets from the first Gremlins. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really? Really? But I was a little scared. Because I had only seen... I, I hadn't seen the first one. So... I was a little scared and it was in a closet sealed sealed up, but it was, it was um, one of the marionette style puppets that they used. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was sitting there in her closet and she opens it and I book and it was stripe. It was, it was stripe. I'll remember that <laughs> forever. 
Uh, mm. But she, I booked it across the house, locked myself in her bedroom door, and would not come out until she swore to me that puppet was put away. It was that good because I wasn't like a kid that was scared of scary movies. It it was that look good looking, that realistic. They did a good job with them, and I could say that from seeing it up close. We scared my we scared my brother with one of those uh because our neighbors had like a kind of a life-size gremlin thing it wasn't like an official pup it was just like a, a like a two three foot gremlin toy but uh we were staying over at our friend's house and uh my brother steve was asleep and we took the gremlin just kind of straddled the gremlin over him it's like steve wake up wake up and he was like oh oh jesus that <laughs> was uh that was mean and, of us but, but funny it, it definitely fits with the mode or the the feeling of the kind of 80s special effects movies and you know what sometimes that's great because it gives it more of the tangibility than maybe what you could do with it with a computer yeah well i mean take a take a look at like uh wizard of oz for example there's a bunch of uh special effects they use in that that you can totally see the seams on but it kind of it kind of adds to the patina of the movie it gives gives it that bit of magic it does that you you wouldn't have with the cgi it does all right well folks we have come to the end of this great discussion of gremlins um Eric, since you are our guest, give us just your final thoughts on this movie. Uh, greatest movie ever made, along with Gremlins 2. I love it. Uh, I, I always, um, uh, it's weird that they say that this isn't meant for kids because I think this is a movie that really resonates a lot with kids. I, I know, like, <laughs> you, you know, parents know their kids better than anyone else. So, um, you know, maybe. It, they're scared easily. This probably wouldn't be the thing to go mm-hmm. uh, show them. But I think a lot of kids, like especially at a certain age, like they come to Gremlins and uh, just eat it up. And I've seen it happen, like with my own nieces and nephews. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. And I'm kind of actually, uh, Brand, just kind of, um, what was kind of your thoughts on this? Because uh, I you mentioned what you already knew of Gremlins before going in, but like after watching it the first time, was it? Like, did it live up to the hype, or did it not quite reach that, or where where um, are you kind of sitting at on it? I would say it lived up to what I was expecting. Um, it definitely is the kind of movie that I did wasn't going in thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever." No, give you it know, time. And <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I did think to myself going in, this is probably going to be a fun wacky 80s movie and you know what that's exactly what it was and it did live up to what else in fact it was um there was a lot more in there that i didn't know anything about a lot of it was a surprise and the um and definitely i i did find the human some of the human characters to be more interesting than i ever thought because the only character i really knew was gizmo yeah uh, but yeah, no, I, I, for me, my final thoughts is, this is a fun movie. This is a good, really good 80s film. You know, of that particular generation, you know what? I have a weakness. I love the 80s, those, these kind of films. These 80s creature feature fantasy 
sci-fi old school visual effects. I like this stuff. And this had what I wanted in it. And now I can see where all those memes come from. Yeah. And uh, now I've seen it in context. And it's like, yeah, okay, this is good stuff. I like this. So, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. So, Captain Ingle, we'll then give you your final thoughts, and then we can turn the time back over to you. Um, I I enjoy this film. Um, I like the second one better, but as a comedy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, uh, this is this is a lot of fun. Great work in puppetry. Uh, and I love a good dark comedy. Uh, it's a little more dark than it is comedy to me, but I like that. It's it's yeah. just one of those weird horrors that, uh, you know, I love I mean, to slip into horror trivia every so often. And uh, to those who like to contrast this with E.T., because some people like to, but to those people who think this is the opposite of E.T., let's face it, E.T. is as freaky as this movie. Yeah. E.T. is as scary as Gridlands. It really is. Yeah, there's a go, go. It, especially early on when you see ET mm-hmm. starts making that noise, like screaming noise. It's like, Ugh, yeah, what the hell is that? It, go ahead, Angle. Sorry, I cut you off there. No, no, it's 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 completely fine. Um, All right, yeah. And I turn the helm back, the con back over to you, Captain. All right. Well, uh, again, I want to thank our specialist Eric for coming in and talking Gremlins with us, and as all specialists do, correcting me. <laughs> uh, that's completely fine <laughs> uh uh eric you got anything to plug um yeah do a the weekly podcast called cinematics usually talk about uh, uh new movies coming out the the lesser seen ones the indie movies uh not so much the ones the the blockbusters but like the uh you know the international movies or indie movies that don't get a lot of uh love mm-hmm. we try to love all over them I mean, and where can we that. find you? And where can we find you on social media? I uh, find me on Twitter, but I don't post anything on there. I usually just post on other people's things. Uh, <laughs> uh, Facebook, I'm on there because I'm old. <laughs> we certainly know that we you can we can find you where we met, where we first met. Oh yeah, on uh, Riley's on Discord. Riley's Discord, yes. And actually, uh, probably start doing the the writers group because uh, uh, Riley's. Patreon kind of disbanded, but mm-hmm. we're still kind of, still kind of like a bunch of good people on there. And we're still kind of still be... having the things going. So, because Riley and White are going to have their own gremlin soon. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's hope that she doesn't, uh, you know, go nuts with water. But yeah, it's right. Uh, anyone that's not uh, involved in Riley's Discord, I would recommend it because there's a bunch of good people there. Yeah. It's where I met you guys. That's yep. true. Unfortunately, it's where you met me, but you know, you got a little <laughs> give and take. Well, you yes. know, that's where Chris and I met. So that's true. That's true. All right. Well, uh, next week, next week, we will be uh, taking a look at uh, another piece of Star Trek animation before we restart the randomizer cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, long story short, last uh, this 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 year, in honor of the anniversary of the an- original animated series, um, Star Trek created a, a series of what are called very short tracks which are all done in the style of the original animated series they're they're shorts couple minutes long a piece brent and i are going to take a look at 
all, I believe there's five of them. We're going to take a look mm-hmm. at all five of them uh, and talk about them all uh, at once as, as an episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the week after that, we start our randomizer over with Enterprise. Mm-hmm. We do indeed. All right. Uh, Brennan, where can the people find you? You can find me on X, uh, at Brennan Miskell. You can find me on Facebook and Blue Sky at Brennan Marr. You can find me on Instagram and threads at Brennan Blue. You can find this podcast, Random Trek, under the umbrella of Page Turners. They were not. Wherever you find your podcasts and on YouTube. You can find me on Twitch and Twitter at Ingle 1984 And of course, hanging around with these two uh, over on Riley's uh, Discord uh, and, and many other places. But as always, we end every episode. Kapla! And live long and prosper. Happy New Year and peace among life. <laughs>